Good morning, good morning. It's so good to see each and every one of you. And for those of you that are old school, you've been here and this is your church, welcome. It's great to have you here. I want to encourage you to do something in particular, and that's this. If you are a regular, there's people around you that might not be. And you'll know that they're not regular, or at least regular to you, because you're going to look at them and they're going to look irregular. So what I want you to do is this. If you notice there's people you don't know in your row or in the row ahead of you or behind you, as you're leaving, stop and just introduce yourself. Just do it. Just, just do it. And if you're someone that you are new, here's the deal. The people around you may not know that. So pretend like you're not and just see what happens. And introduce yourself as well because we really want to see this be a place that you are coming in here not just as someone flying under the radar and leaving anonymously, but actually finding this place to be home. And that's our, that's our heart. That's our goal. Now, we're at the end, of, the end of a series in Colossians called This Changes Everything, that Paul writes this letter to this dinky little church in a town called Colossae, who's seen better days. It's been an awesome, I mean, they've had a great ride in the past, but their current context is pretty disappointing and discouraging. But this guy named Epaphras Here's the gospel, the good news about Jesus from Paul over in Ephesus, and he comes back and he tells everyone, plants a church, and all of a sudden the church starts to grow. Like, I'm talking monumental growth. They've gone from 10 to 15 people. It's huge. And so now what they're doing is as they're growing in their faith, they're like, I don't know. Like, I I believe in Jesus. I'm tight with the idea of of him dying for my sin, but what about some of these other belief systems that are around me? How do I mesh that? And so Paul, the purpose of this letter is to encourage them that Jesus is, in fact, the one that changes everything. And, and to focus them on Christ and him alone. And so we're coming to the end of this whole book in a section of a epistle. Epistles are, are, are letters to the church that a lot of us, if you read through the New Testament, skip. Like a lot of times, if you're someone who likes to read the New Testament, you might be someone like, oh yeah, I read the Bible, I read the New Testament. And then you get to a book that has a genealogy and you skip over it because you're like, who cares? And then you get to like the end of one of these letters and you're like, it's all like, and thanks to Fred who lived in the town next to us. You're like, I don't care about Fred. So you skip over, you go to the next book. We do that to our detriment because there's stuff inside there. And it's not just a bunch of hard to pronounce names. It's that, but it's that and more. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to close out Colossians and read the last chapter starting in verse two. So if you could stand with me as we read from God's word. Also, if you've got your Bible or you've got your Bible on your phone, open it uh, because we're going to be going through that throughout the sermon. And we're not going to have the verses on the screen this week because I want you to get a chance to see them in your copy, either again on your phone or in your own copy of the Bible. Okay, so Paul says this to close out the book. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most out of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's my dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends his greetings. Okay, now pause here. I grew up 
having friends named Jesus. No one called, no one said, oh, and that's Jesus over there. I have a friend right now that has uh, my friend Jesus. But Jesus was basically the Greek version, Jesus or Jesus was the Greek version of Josh, Joshua. And so if you know someone named Joshua, in Hebrew, that, or in, that, that Joshua would be the Hebrew version of the Greek name Jesus. And so, that, so that it, was a much common, it was a pretty common name back then. Verse 11, Jesus, or Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my, fellow, my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort They've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, and a servant of Christ, Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend, Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter's been read to you, see to it that it's read to the church in Laodicea and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, by the way, if you're pregnant, you're looking for a name. Archippus, see to it. Man, that'd be a really difficult third grade year. Uh, See to it that that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Okay, I don't know how you grew up in your family, um, but um, one of the things that my family had that I grew up with that kind of was not an explicit mantra, but was an unwritten mantra was this. And the mantra was simply, let's see if I get this to work. The mantra was simply make the most out of every opportunity. How many of you... um, have grown up, let me see if this, oh, there we go, sweet, awesome. Was that me or was that you, Vince? That was me, good, all right. Um, this is something that, that we lived by as McFadden's, because, in part because we're cheap. Like, if we're going to spend money, we're going to milk whatever it is we're spending money on big time, okay? That's just the way it is. Now, one of the things that we grew up doing in Southern California was going to Disneyland. Um, I know some of you are Disney World people, Whatever. The OG version is Disneyland. It's Walt's creation, okay? You're whatever. Uh, yeah. So uh, how many of you love Disney? Disney World? Okay, it's okay. This is a safe place. You can say it. All right, now here's the thing. Disney World is ginormous, but Disneyland is a lot smaller. And the reality is that my, we, we back in the day didn't have like four days to see Disneyland. We had one day. We skipped school on a day in December, and we all as a family went to Disneyland. And my dad's thing was this, we're going to wake up at the crack of dawn and get in the car and hit the highway because we need to avoid traffic because we're not going to get stuck in traffic and miss the opening of Disneyland. We're going to get to Disneyland, we're going to have our tickets that we spent good money for, we had to take out a second mortgage to do this, so we're going to go and we're going to make sure that we get there before the gates open. And when the gates open to Main Street USA, the gates of the kingdom are open, we're going to be there. We're not going to be like, oh, show up 30 minutes after, oh no, because if you show up 30 minutes after, you're going to be standing in line for star tours for eight hours. Don't do that. You got to be there early. And so we're like, boom. And as soon as we would like, I mean, I just remember the excitement and the anticipation of those, of the, of it opening and us booming in there. And my dad had a plan. We knew my dad had a plan because he he rehearsed it en route to Disneyland. Okay. So here's what we do. First off, longest line, star tours easily. We're going to Star Tours first. And then we're ping-ponging from star tours to the Indiana Jones ride. From the Indiana Jones ride, we're going to Pirates of the Caribbean. 
children. This is the way. And so like, that, it was like one of those things where we knew exactly what was going to happen. We knew that my dad wanted to make sure that we were speed walking through Disneyland to get to each ride. And then what we would, we would capitalize on the foolishness of other tourists. When they foolishly wasted their time on these stupid parades that nobody cares about. For real. Who does that? Let's stand and watch characters. It was dumb. My dad's like, they're dumb. So what we're going to do is we're going to take advantage of that dumbness, and we're going to go and get on rides while they're watching Disney, you know, Mickey Mouse go by. That's, that's going to be awesome. And we're going to go back to the rides that they're missing out on because we're going to make the most out of every opportunity. Now, that, that was my family. We, we wanted to milk every second. When we were in California, we did the same thing. When we went to Joshua Tree, we, wanted, we, had to, we didn't have a long time in the park, and so we had to take advantage of every second because the timing was limited. Everyone in here knows what it's like to miss out on an opportunity. An opportunity was afforded you, and you didn't take it, and you regret that you didn't take it. Or you should have invested more time, more intentionality, or more hard work in a relationship, or a job, or a class for a grade, and you didn't, and you missed an opportunity because of that. All of us have lived in that kind of regret in some way, shape, or form. And Paul, in this passage, is identifying the fact that we could do that in life. You can miss out on opportunities that God has for you. And so Paul's encouragement, his challenge is, don't do that. Make the most out of every, every opportunity. And as a Christian who's experienced Jesus, the way that we do that, he kind of like short, changes it into four steps. Is we make the most out of every opportunity in our prayer life, in our perspective that we have from Jesus, in our proclamation of the good news, and even relational repair. We don't want to miss these key opportunities. And the first one is prayer. And, and if you take a look in that passage, he says this in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, that word watchful, it's this idea of persistent intentionality. It's like, I, I, I'm going to make sure that I'm always in a posture ready to pray. Now, when do you normally pray? Like you, personally. Just think about it. You don't need to raise your hand or say it out loud. But when do you normally pray, if you pray? Oftentimes, if I'm honest, it happens when I'm freaking out, Right? in those uh-oh moments of life where we do things that are, I've done something that's going to cause some type of a relational problem or relational issue, or, or maybe you've been in a situation where like, I've done something, I'm not going to pass this class, or I've done something, I'm going to lose some friends, or I've done something, I might even lose my job. And, and those are situations where that's where all of a sudden we start freaking out, and our first impulse is to freak out. If we're going to make the most out of every opportunity with prayer, we actually come to it differently. Our first impulse is not freaking out in bad times or forgetting God in good times, but persistently bringing our life to God. That's what prayer is. It's not this beautiful hallmark-sounding prayer. It's just you persistently, intentionally bringing your life before God. That's it. And the cool thing is, is that not only is Paul saying that we need to be persistent in that, that should be part of our DNA as a human being, but we also are doing so with perspective. And the perspective is actually where we're also take, making the most out of every opportunity. Because he says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and what? Thankful. Thankful. We as Christians have a different perspective, and it shows up in our prayer. We're not just like, God, I am like, it's awful. Things are horrible. But we're actually also bringing into our prayer gratitude because we're praying to the person who's overcome death and sin. He's overcome the worst version of us and everything else. He's going to restore this world. He's going to make all things new. We're praying to someone with confidence. You may be having one of the worst years 
And Christians should never take that away from you by saying, look, we have a better perspective, so smile. No, if you're going through a painful period or this has been an awful week, you are someone who legitimately are hurting. The reality that we have with perspective is realizing that's not the end of the story. That's not the period at the end of the sentence. Not not for us. Not in Christ. It gets better. And we understand that so we can have gratitude. Um, As we talked a couple weeks back, it doesn't take, uh, the opposite of gratitude and having a thankful spirit is, is, is being a complainer. Now I know a lot of you in this room and some of you are really good. Really good at complaining. Like, awesome. Like there's kindergarten complainers but you're like graduate level right? Seriously, I mean, you've got merit badges on how much you've complained in life. And, and if it's not you, it's probably the person next to you, right? So here's the thing. It, that's something that we practice. We practice a complaining attitude, but it comes naturally because all you have to do to be a complainer is pay attention and then speak. That's all you got to do to be a complainer. As a Christian, you have a different perspective that enters into the mix. It's accurately assessing a garbagey situation, but saying that's not the end of the story. It's not optimism. In Christianity, it's realism. It's a perspective that changes, and it causes you to have gratitude. And so here's how we, we take, make the most out of every opportunity. We discipline ourselves to daily express it mentally and verbally. What is something in your world that you don't often express gratitude for that you could well, if you're in a relationship, what are aspects of that relationship that, and there's some serious issues, let's be honest. You had some issues in your relationship, for sure. But what are aspects that are actually good? Have you ever called that out? Have you ever expressed that to the person that you're with? Hey, I just want to tell you, we fight a lot. But I got to tell you, this is something I'm really thankful for. I'm thankful to God for this part of our relationship. If you're a kid growing up in a house, you got every reason to complain, right? You just wish that you had a different set of parents sometimes. But have you ever called out to your parents, hey, listen, I know that I've, I've been in trouble every day this week. You want to ground me till I'm 24. I'm not for that. But I want to tell you, here's one thing about you I appreciate. I'm thankful to God for this. And I don't say it enough. Like, what if you, like, if you're in class, at, at, you know, school teachers feel like they never have any gratitude. Sometimes rightfully so, but most of the time not. What if you actually told your teacher, listen, I know that every student's in here to to try not to fail your class and to not cuss you out to your face. But I got to tell you, in the midst of everything, and you know I'm not the best student in this class, and I'm not saying this to get a better grade, but I just want to tell you one thing about your teaching that I appreciate is this. And I just want to let you know that. And then you leave, and that teacher will never, that teacher will be 85 years old and remember that moment. That's the kind of perspective that a Christian has. What I want to encourage us to do right now is this. We're going to take some time. We didn't do this last night, but we just on the fly did it in the first service. And that is, let's not just talk about this. Let's just take one minute, 30 seconds to one minute, to carve out a space where you get a chance to talk to the Heavenly Father and express gratitude to Him, to persistently bring your life before Him. Are there anxieties you've walked into this room with? I have. This is going to be an opportunity for me to bring this before the Lord. Is there shame that you've walked in here with? God doesn't intend for you to hold on to that. He intends for you to persistently bring that before him. To repent, to experience the liberation of that that he affords you in his grace. We're going to take a minute to do that. Each of you have the opportunity to make the most out of this minute. So I want to encourage you to do that right now. Go ahead and bow your heads. We're just going to take one minute for you to persistently bring 
this moment before the Lord. Ask him to give you eyes that have gratitude and thankfulness rather than our default posture of complaining. God, you change everything, even our outlook. Pray that you transform in us a prayer life that has a perspective that rightfully sees things as bad as they are, can rightfully call out the good we see in life as well and not be blind to that. Let that start in us today and we will give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for doing that. That, but that's something that happens with us as, as, as followers of Jesus. We get a chance to experience prayer and perspective. And then Paul gets into a, a different section where he talks about proclamation and taking the, making the most out of every opportunity here. And I love this. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 3, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So Paul's saying, look, I'm getting busted for this message, and I'm not getting busted for a message that I've got all figured out. You want to ask me a lot of questions about Jesus and God and how this all works out? I can give you a lot of answers. God has illuminated a lot of answers to me. But do I have the whole thing figured out like it's textbook? No. In fact, I've got a word to describe my faith. Mystery. It's a mystery. In fact, in another letter, Paul says it's so mysterious that people on the outside look at it as dumb, as moronic. You're a Christian? You actually believe that? That God became man and died on the cross for people and then rose again? You believe that stuff? That's insanity. And Paul's like, don't fight him on that. It does look dumb to the outsider. What we have instead to do is to celebrate the mystery because it's not just mysterious and mysteriously mythological. It's mysterious and true. And because it's true, we have a message to proclaim. And Paul's saying, I want to do that well. So he says this, pray, verse 4, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is tough for us as Christians. Because if you're a Christian, you have tied yourself into the message that you believe the truth. And everyone else is wrong about the most important thing in life. And instead of prompting us to become more humble because of that reality, oftentimes it prompts us to be more arrogant and brash. And what ends up happening instead is this. I'm going to tell you the truth in whatever way I want to tell you. And if you're offended by that, well, then that actually makes me feel good because the gospel is offensive. And if you, get, if you run away from God because of how I'm com communicating, I actually feel like maybe I'm doing a good job at it because that's how I'm, I'm rolling. And what Paul says is, no, be wise in how you act towards outsiders. Make the most out of every opportunity. May your speech always be full of what? Grace. You know what grace is? Unmerited favor. Like, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. 
That's grace. And seasoned with salt. So it's actually attractive and alluring. And, that, and that's the amazing thing. As far as the proclamation we have, we have the opportunity to constantly say the message will never, ever change. But the method of how we communicate it will always change. Now, am I saying that you need to be like bend yourself, like if you're talking to someone who's, uh, you know, different from you or a different culture than you or a different perspective than you, should you like just totally, you know, lay down your rights and try to bend yourself to communicate in a way that they understand? Would I say that? No. But Paul would. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, I've become a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Not a servant, a slave. I've become a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. And just to put an exclamation point on what he's saying, Paul says this. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jews. He's like, now look, this is like my hometown. I get Judaism, but I feel like I'm liberated from it because I'm following Jesus. But to save my brothers and sisters that are still like within the faith, am I going to like totally reflect their customs and cultures? You bet I'm going to totally do that. To those under the law, like I'm talking like varsity level Jewish people, I became one under the law. Told myself I'm not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like the Gentiles, the people who don't even get our traditions or don't get atonement, they don't get sacrifice, they don't get one true God. To those guys, I became like one of them, not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Why would I do such a thing? Why in the world would I alter my heritage as a Jew, as someone who understands the significance of all these things for these people who are ignorant? Why? So I can win those not having the law. Now you look at me like I'm Paul and I'm like amazingly strong in my faith and I'm, I'm someone who has a lot of authority. That's great. I may look strong, but you know what? To the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I don't know who I'm gonna save. I don't know who's gonna respond to this. And you know what? I, I don't have the ability to, to, to curate or, or cultivate that, that list of people who are saved or not saved. All I know is that if you're an atheist, I'm not going to just kind of like deliver my message to you like a good Christian in a way that I understand, but you might not because I'm speaking with truth. No, if you're an atheist, I'm going to listen to you. Why don't you believe this? I want to hear you out. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to hear you out, and then I'm going to offer you the opportunity to hear why do I actually believe the stuff that sounds stupid to you. If you're someone from a different culture, I'm going to learn that culture. And the reason I'm going to learn that culture is not because I think your culture rules. I might think it's lame, but I care about you. And I want to learn your culture so that I can learn how to communicate to you because you coming to know Jesus is way more important than my ability just to stay in my silo of my own culture. Paul uses explicit lyrics here to communicate the fact we need to be the flexi block of messaging. We need to be the people that are recognizing our message never changes, but the methodology must always change. So if we're going to make the most out of every opportunity, what we have to do is this. First off, one of the key ways that we proclaim the truth that we have in Christ is to be able to mourn with those who mourn. Jesus lays out an ethic in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all about if you're a follower of Jesus, it changes how we interact with other people. 
And so if I'm going to be proclaiming the fact that Jesus is real, his teaching was true, that his death was actual, that his resurrection was legitimate, and it, and it, re- it realistically took place, and it's changed me, that I'm taking his word seriously, and I'm going to mourn with those who mourn. And this seems weird because a lot of Christians, we, we struggle with this. We can like celebrate with those who celebrate or we can like be, you know, victorious because God, he's, he's accomplished the victory. But when life is falling apart, sometimes Christians don't have words. And this, this past week has been one of the most difficult weeks for a lot of people in our community. The last week, week and a half, there have been four suicides of high school students. One in our own community. A student who came to our, our student ministries from time to time. Christians are so quick sometimes to rush to, God's a good God, he's got this. That's true. But Jesus didn't say, give them the right answer in those moments. He says what? Mourn. If you're a proclaimer of the gospel that takes broken people and in Christ makes them whole, that means that you have the ability to take seriously his messaging of mourning. Are you somebody that someone in your world can come to and express, I'm struggling Psychologically, I am wrestling with thoughts I I can't control. I'm going through something right now in my life that's too overwhelming. I'll tell you, people have come to me in those moments and I have not responded well. I've responded like a Christian with all the answers, but not someone who's mourning with those who mourn. Are you someone that can mourn with those who mourn? If so, you're someone who's able to proclaim the very important message of Christ that he's actually with them in that moment. Secondly, the second thing we do is evaluate how we are coming across to those far from God in your world and adjust accordingly. If the people in your school look at you as a Christian and they're put off by the way that you're communicating the, the message of Jesus, if they're put off by whether it's the, the other ways that you talk to them or the ways that perhaps maybe you judge them or they perceive that you're judging them, You need to evaluate that and adjust accordingly. According to Paul, we're going to be willing to flex on just about anything as far as my preferences to be able to communicate the truth to you. I will sit through and hear whatever you have to say. I will will sit down and spend however long it, it takes because that is so important. Evaluate how you are coming across to those far from God in your world and adjust accordingly. If you're speaking the truth in a way that's causing people to run for the hills not because of the message, but the method that you're using or the tone that you're using, adjust accordingly. In no way is this dumbing down the message. In no way is this endorsing sin. In no way is this doing any of that. It's simply saying, I will always lean in on becoming all things for all people so that by all possible means, some, some may come to know Jesus. Adjust accordingly. And then thirdly, always be ready. This is what Peter said. He said, wives, you're in a situation where you're a believer and your husband's not. You feel like you're trapped. So be an amazing wife. There's not much you can do with your husband. You can't force feed him the gospel. He's gonna have to make that decision that's between him and God. But just be, just be faithful. And in the midst of being faithful, be ready because there's gonna come up opportunity possibly that you're gonna be able to give a reason for your hope. Um, you guys know Alan and Jerry Laux. They, we exported them to Mission Morris and it, it was like cutting off an arm because we love that couple. They were the, the ones that did the coffee ministry all the time. It was so amazing, amazing couple. Um, they're like the poster children for mission. And, and, and in particular, the poster 
children for anything that Mission has made as far as t-shirts. They buy every t-shirt and they wear it all the time. They're like, again, I think they're our models. It's Alan and Jerry Locks, the models of our church. And they walk around, it's, it's awesome. Well, Alan, was, he was at a, a car dealership uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, maybe uh, this past week, actually. And he walks in and he, and he has one of the shirts that said, uh, Mission, the people who gather, or we're the people that gather. And the card, one of the car dealers, or the people that worked at the car dealership said, that's a cool shirt, what's that all about? And he's like, oh, well, I go to a church called Mission and we're a church that gathers. We're different people, we come from different walks of life, we vote differently, but we, we love Jesus and we gather and that's, that's what we do. And he's like, huh, that's weird. My mom, she's super religious. She probably would love that shirt. He's like, really? So Alan leaves. I don't know if he bought a car or not, but he left. And, he, and as he goes, he, next time he was at Mission Morris, he bought that shirt. And then he comes back to the dealership and he gives the dude the shirt. He says, hey, this is for your mom. And the guy's like, wow, thanks. And he says, oh, and by the way, here's like a, an invite card. He took one of those like square invite cards from the guest hub. And he said, I know that you live too far to come to Mission Morris or Mission Manuka, but I'd like to invite you to stream. And I was just thinking about this first service. He might be streaming right now. So if you're streaming, stop. <laughs> And so he invites them to stream. And he says, on top of that, I would like to invite you to be my guest to come to, at Christmas time to come to church with my family. What's, what's Alan doing? He's ready. He's recognizing that normally you're in a car dealership just trying to get the best deal you can, but he's got a secondary thing going on in his head. And that is to, ta- to make the most out of every stinking opportunity he can to glorify God. Are you doing that? When you go to school, when you go to work, when you go home, are we making the most out of every opportunity? Are we just like, man, life is so stressful and overwhelming. Man, I just can't stand what's happening right now in my life. Man, this is just so painful and stress. Those things are all legit. But are you making the most out of every opportunity? Because I promise you, I promise you, if you open your eyes, you will find yourself with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. An opportunity to proclaim the reason that you've got hope. Prayer, perspective, proclamation, and finally, repair. Remember that, that section I told you is one that we normally skip? There's two people's names in here. There's lots of good names. We could talk a long time about that. But there's two people's names that speak into this. The truth is, is that as people, as human beings, but as Christians too, we break apart. We divide. We find reasons to divide. Uh, many of you are here at our church because there was uh, a reason that you divided from a church you previously were in. One of the things that we see in this passage, the last section, is the idea of repair. And, and we see it in two names. The first is Mark. Look at verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, just in case you needed to know which Mark I'm talking about, the cousin of Barnabas. And here's the thing. Everyone in Colossae, if they knew Paul's story, would know he had beef with Mark. He doesn't like Mark. He hated Mark. And, he, and for good reason. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody that just totally let you down? That's Paul's perspective on Mark. On the first missionary journey, they are going through and they're telling everyone about Jesus and all of a sudden, the heat starts rising and Paul's starting to get persecuted and Mark bails. And then Paul gets beat up, like hardcore beat up. They thought he was dead, he was so beat up. And so if you're looking at the scars from nearly dying from getting beat up and the dude who was supposed to be with you took off when the the heat rose, you wouldn't have a good feeling about that guy. So he tells Barnabas, look, we're gonna keep on doing these missionary journeys, but I'll tell you one person who's not going Mark, I know he's your cousin. I think you know you think he's awesome. He's not. He's a backstabbing, betraying person who we cannot count on. And Barnabas is like, he's my cousin. He's like, I don't care if he's your cousin. Well, here's the thing. We're not seeing eye to eye on this. And so what Barnabas and Paul did is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. 
and they split over Mark. We don't know what happened from that point to that point, but something happened. Because all of a sudden he says, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. All of a sudden, we have Mark going from the guy who's on the blacklist, I will not allow him to come in, to being a person who's actually on the inside. Another name that we see repair showing up is Onesimus, or at least the potential. We talked about Onesimus being the slave of Philemon. The book of Philemon in your Bible is an, it's what many have used in the 1800s is as an abolitionist tract against human slavery because of what Paul said to Philemon, the slave master who's in the church with the slave Onesimus, and saying to him, Onesimus, you need to look at him as a brother. He's a human being, and he's so important to our ministry. He's my, he's my co-worker. Don't look at him like he's property. Look at him as, as a man who's, who's not only a man, he's incredibly important to our ministry. And so we see Onesimus being named in that highlight reel of people to welcome. And we don't know. This is one of the things I can't wait for heaven for. I can't wait to go up to like Onesimus and go, so did you and Philemon, did, did things get patched up? We don't know. I can't wait to find out. But we have in this last section an evidence of repair between Mark and Paul and the potential of repair between Onesimus and Philemon. Are there relationships that you have right now that you've allowed to be frayed, that need to be repaired? the brothers or sisters in Christ that you've got beef with still from something that happened a long time ago that you need to apologize for or you need to forgive because they're not going to ask you to forgive them they're not going to apologize for what they've done this is a Christian characteristic that we can take advantage of and, and operate with by making the most out of every opportunity one of the things I wanted to close the service with is is simply the fact that we launched our volunteers this year with, with a kind of a mantra of it's not about me. And that was a, a call to them to make the most out of every opportunity, to serve as if Jesus has in fact changed everything. And I wanted you as we close just to hear their testimony, their story from a couple of these people that are serving our church with that perspective that it's not about me. Take a listen. Um, so to be honest, I haven't always been a very good um, helper. I teach at a public high school. I give and give and give all day long. And so when I go home or my weekends, I don't usually do those kind of things. So I haven't been very good about that. But my husband has always done it. He has been an usher. He's been on the mission team. He's done all that stuff. So I just kind of sat back a little bit and let him do that. Even though he was a teacher too, he doesn't have any problems with that. I just kind of let him do those things. Um, Tim and I, when we first heard that you were planning or this church was planning on having a campus in Morris, I was so excited. You know how long I had been waiting for that? All those years I had to drive my children back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So we were all in and we felt like it was go big or go home. I wasn't making church and God a priority and I knew for me personally, in order to make it a priority, I needed to have some accountability or some skin in the game. So I told Errol, I'm like, hey, you need to hook me up with uh, someone to get me more involved because I know if I have something that I need to be doing at the church, I will be here every Sunday. So I had first started serving. Um, Pastor Brent contacted uh, my wife and I and asked us if we would be interested in ushering um, a few times a month. And I said, absolutely. And uh, that started the whole thing. I think a lot of people don't want to serve, uh, but uh, in 
in church because they're, they're, they're not sure what they're getting into. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or other people have ever experienced that when you start something new, sometimes you're a little anxious, sometimes you don't know what to expect. Um, well, I mean, I'm no stranger to anxiety uh, and it's become more social anxiety and it's very natural for me to want to gravitate towards like solitude. Sometimes um, it's a lot easier just to kind of hide in the background and not put yourself out there. So um, coming and serving and especially greeting Frontline Greeter where you're saying hello to everyone, that's not easy for me to do. Makes you a little nervous, you're not real sure. But that day, that first day then we had our um, big meeting to, tie, to show us how to set things up, I had the, the strangest peace when I walked away. It was like, it's like I had done this forever, that it was not a big deal. You're just getting to know other people. And so if you're doing the setup or teardown, you're having a conversation with people and getting uh, just feeling like you have a relationship with other people and you're drawing them in. Had a real good time meeting new people, meeting people that I have always known but kind of stood back afar because I didn't really know them that well. You know, when you're serving, you're around other people and I am a relatively new Christian, so in my mind, everyone else was that I was gonna be serving with was gonna be, you know, a A++, you know, extra credit Christian and you know, the more you get to talking to them, they have real doubts and real concerns, just like I do. That has helped me make friends. Even though I've been here for 20 years, I think I have more friends now um, having to serve in a mission more because I've had to put myself out there. Basically, it's, it was awesome just to find other people that had questions and just like I did. And we're, we're getting through it together. And that, that helps a lot not going through life and your your quest alone. It's all the little things that, that kind of week after week I get to, to see. Again, the cool thing for me is to see new families coming in. You know, we were a new family at one point in time and you're scared and you're nervous and you don't know what to, what to expect. And to be able to see those people come and then to see them in other weeks and continuing to come and to see their kids joining and stuff, it's, that to me is, is really exciting. I started off, you know, a couple years ago not knowing what I believe in. I knew that there was a God, but I had no clue in what direction to go. So, you know, I studied, I looked at a bunch of different religions, I started coming to Mission Bible and that really hit home with me, but, um, you know, I think just coming once a week is great, that's a great start, but at some point, you know, if you really want to delve into the next steps of Christianity, you know, it's all about loving and serving others, and I find that hard to do just once a week uh, sitting at church for an hour. You know, it's one thing to just like sit there and enjoy the service, but it's another to like, you know, get in there and like put in your own part. There been times and seasons in our, our life and in my life where I've served and where I've not served. And to, to compare both of them, when I've served, it felt like uh, Lord was doing all the work. He was the one blessing. When I'm not serving, it's when I'm trying to do things on my own and it's, it's more of a struggle. Uh, just seeing both seasons of life of serving and not serving, I'd say go ahead and jump in because you'll see other people uh, encouraging you and you'll be an encouragement to others. So to be like a high schooler serving in big church, it's kind of cool because it shows you that like the younger generation can do stuff too. It's not just the old people. So serving is, um, has helped me grow as a Jesus follower um, by being less self-centered um, and, and using my skills um, to help others and to focus on other people um, instead of myself. 
we had, I was able to lead a boy to, uh, to the Lord in our, in our small group. We gave the gospel message in our different groups. And this, uh, this boy, I said, I'm not sure if it, you have all have accepted Christ, uh, but uh, and all the other kids, oh, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. And, uh, but I'm, maybe there's somebody who hasn't here. And this boy right in front of everybody, even though their eyes were open, he was not ashamed. He rose, raised his hands. And all those other kids affirmed him, that's great, that's great, good, good for you. And uh, so normally that's a delicate time. And most people close their eyes and, and pray the prayer. And uh, he's like, no, I, wanna, I want for everybody to see it. And he prayed right there in front of everybody and accepted Christ. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> it was so neat. God's given us all certain skills and abilities. And um, it's great to be able to use them to, to help other people and to help other, lead other people to um, Jesus and um, help them grow in their spiritual journey also. I, I was really moved when I first started coming to church um, with Jerry and Al. Um, you know, they, Al especially, would always come around that counter of the coffee bar and acted like he knew me and would just had this amazing vibe about him. And I'm like, man, this, this, I feel like at home here. So then when they were called by God to go to the Morris campus, um, I knew that we needed some people around here to step up and I was, I do my best and I try to give that same vibe and love to the people that come in um, as they did. That first day, that was just that peace and that has not disappeared. Every single day I walk into that school on a Sunday, I feel that peace, that this is my home, this is my place. For whatever reason, it's one of the only days of the week I, I get up out of bed and I'm excited to be there and there's something to be said for that. I know that's God working within me. He's given me the strength to show up on Sunday and do something that I'm not naturally inclined to want to do. I think of the illustration of a garden. What, what happens at the beginning of a season? It's bare dirt and we're just planting seeds and everybody knows what is, is the expectation. At the end of the season, you're expecting to see uh, lots of fruit come up and so we're tending that right now. It's really the whole rest of my life has developed into, has followed suit to what I'm doing on Sundays. I'm taking that same serving mindset and take, carrying it forward into my week. I think it's helped me um, be what God intends me to be. And so as kids, kids of the King, we stand at the gates of the kingdom. We only have so much time and our Heavenly Father reminds us of the great cost of what it means to live this out. May we be the type of church that takes seriously every minute from now until we meet Jesus face to face and make the most out of every opportunity. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray just that you allow us to do that. This is our opportunity now to be real in the world. Help us not waste opportunities in our family today. Help us not waste opportunities with our brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we might be going out to lunch with or hanging out with after this. Let us not waste opportunities in our classes and workplaces this week. Lord, help us be the ones that are making the most out of every opportunity. In prayer, perspective, proclamation, and even relational repair. And we will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go live it out, folks.